Good morning. It's good to be with you this morning. And I'm going to invite you to turn in your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 2 once more. And we're going to focus this morning upon verse 10. But let us begin, if we will, in the context of what Paul was writing to the church at Ephesus as you look at chapter 2 beginning in verse 1. And he says this, as he was describing their previous condition before they came to faith in Christ. He said, you were dead in your trespasses and sins, in which you formerly walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, of the spirit that is now present in the sons of disobedience. And he went on to say about the condition that he was reflecting as a Jew, he says, among them we too all formerly lived in the lust of our flesh, indulging in the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath. (laughs) What an amazing compliment, amazing comment about their condition. We too all formerly walked in the lust of the flesh. Then he says this, and I think this is one of the most gorgeous verses of Scripture in the Bible. In verse 4, But God, being rich in mercy, because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our transgressions, made us alive together with Christ. For by grace you have been saved. And raised us up with him, and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the ages to come he might show the surpassing riches of his grace in kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not as a result of works, so that anyone would boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we would walk in them. What a glorious truth. Let's pray just before we begin this morning. Father, thank you for your word, which is living and active and sharper than a two-edged sword, penetrating to the very depths of our soul and spirit. Lord, revealing to us the thoughts and intentions of our hearts. Lord, speak to our hearts this morning. Open wide the doors of our hearts that we might receive the fullness of your word in Christ Jesus. Father, thank you for what you have done for us. Blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. Just as you knew us before the foundation of the world, Father, you have adopted us as your sons through Christ Jesus and to yourself. To the praise of the glory of your grace. Thank you, Father, for your marvelous mercy and grace extended to us in him, who alone is our Savior and Lord. Father, thank you for creating us for good works, which you created beforehand. You even laid out these things before the foundation of the world, that we would walk in them. Father, thank you for your calling. May Jesus Christ be glorified in this, the preaching of your word, And as it enters into our hearts, God, indeed work the message through us that we might exhibit its its dynamic power, its living grace 
in our day-to-day life as we witness in our world. In the name of Jesus Christ, we ask it, and for his glory we pray. Amen. When we, thought, when we go back to chapter 2, verse 1, looking at the condition in which we were before we came to saving faith in Jesus Christ, we were dead in our trespasses and sins, he says, dead. Think about what he's saying. We were dead in our trespasses and sin. There was no life in us. We were walking according to the course of the world, the worldly way, according to the prince of the power of the air. We were walking according to Satan himself. And indeed, the spirit of disobedience was in us. And Paul went on to say that not only was this true of the Gentiles, but he says, and we too formerly lived in the lust of the flesh, indulging in the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath. We were at enmity with God. We were without Christ in the world. We were excluded, as he goes on to say in the remainder of, uh, of the chapter, we were excluded from the commonwealth of Israel. We were strangers to the covenants of peace. We were without hope and without God in the world. But we who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Jesus. And then that verse of scripture in verse 4 and 5. But God being rich in mercy, being rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us. Even though we were dead in our transgressions, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. And that, remember last week, was the emphasis of what we were talking about The grace that comes through faith in Christ. The grace that comes only from Him. It's not something we can draw up ourselves. Indeed, examine what he said here. He said, you are dead in your trespasses and sin. As we said last week, faith is a spiritual thing. It's a spiritual act. How can one who is dead do something spiritual? I don't think it's possible. At least I can't find any evidence of it in the Scriptures. If we were dead in our transgressions and sins, walking according to the course of the world and of the prince of the power of the air, and were sons of disobedience, how can we save ourselves? No, grace is solely from God. It's it's His unmerited favor. And the faith in which we believe is something that God gives us by which we might cling to Him and put our faith and trust in Him as He draws us to Himself and by His Holy Spirit begins to speak to us clearly that we need a Savior, that we are walking in in our sins, and we are dead without Him. And then when we come to that great knowledge, the knowledge of our truth in God, through Christ Jesus our Lord, and when we put our trust in Him, and His Holy Spirit enters into us, and there is new life in us indeed, we are His workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works. He begins something in our life that's special, and we're going to examine that this morning. And it says in Ephesians 2, 4, Then God being rich in mercy because of his great love. He's the one who has saved us. So therefore his gift to us is not only grace, but it's faith. We have that salvation by grace through faith. Therefore, we can never boast in and of ourselves. We can never brag about the fact that because of who we were, we were able somehow to reach out to God and say, Yeah, I believe. No, God reaches out to us 
Jesus said in John chapter 6, No man can come to me unless the Father draws him. So God draws us, awakens us by his Spirit, and we know that we need a Savior, and then all we must do is accept that free gift of faith and say, Yes, Lord, I believe. And our life can be transformed and changed. Indeed, then we who were once dead have been brought near and been made alive through Christ Jesus our Lord. If you look at uh, Romans 3.20, it reminds us, By the works of the law, no flesh will be justified. So there's nothing we can do. There's no work that we can perform. In Romans 5, chapter 1, uh, uh, 5, chapter 5, verses 1 and 2, Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom also we have obtained our introduction by faith into this grace in which we stand. So it's all God's doing. And if you would read the paraphrase of this, as I had written it, it's kind of my version of my paraphrase of verses uh, 8, 9, and 10. Salvation is by grace through faith, and even that faith does not come from ourselves. It is God's free gift to us. Our salvation has nothing to do with anything that we can do ourselves so that we could ever brag about it. It's all God's doing. So, why did he do this? Why are we, his workmanship, a new creature in Christ Jesus for good works? Think about what you usually what usually comes to mind when you hear the word workmanship. It is, by definition, it means something that's the art and skill of a craftsman or artisan... The quality is something made with care and forethought. That's usually what comes to mind when we think about something that is an example of workmanship. We're usually thinking of something that is highly crafted, normally made by one man or woman. Uh, Some of you ladies can relate to that as as you might think of one who would quilt, a beautiful quilt. And it is a piece of workmanship, is it not? Carefully chosen pieces of cloth put together in a pattern that has some meaning to it, perhaps. Um, my wife and I saw back in, in several years ago a lady's work as we were doing our last trip to Texas. I think it was about 06. And this lady had a, a quilt work that was just absolutely gorgeous, one of the be- most beautiful patterns I had ever seen. As a matter of fact, I, and, but the color that she had chosen was so uh, different than what we normally had that we, we contacted her, and she agreed to make a quilt for us after that pattern with some colors. We sent her the color swatches. She made a quilt. It was one of, it's a beautiful work of art. It's just one of our most precious possessions. You know what? It's not any different with what God's done for us, what he's done for you and for me. We are his workmanship. He has crafted a glorious piece of art in each and every one of us. That's his workmanship. God alone can do this. No one else can do it. He created us from the very beginning with the first man, the first woman. And though sin marred us and has entered into the human race, when we believe in him, he can craft in us a beautiful work of art, and it's called Jesus Christ who's in us. Christ in us, the hope of glory. 
What a glorious thing he does. So that's what we need to remember, that we are his workmanship. God has done it. Not you and I. We're the result of it. It says in 2 Corinthians 5.17, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creature. The old things passed away. Behold, new things have come. So we are a new creature. A new creation. Different than that first work when he did, when he laid the foundations of the world and created this the heavens and the earth. We are a new creature in Christ Jesus. So therefore, we need to understand that in order to become a new creature, we need to be born again of the Spirit. Jesus said in John 3.3, 3, when he was talking to Nicodemus, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. So this new creature comes about when we are born again by the Spirit of God in us. And again, he says in, in Corinthians, 2 Corinthians uh, 5.17, he says, If anyone is in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things have passed away, new things come. And that's one thing we need to remember. The old things of this world, when we walked according to the course of the world and of Satan's will, when we were by nature children of wrath, that has passed away, and new things have come in Christ Jesus. So we have then been also fashioned in his likeness. If you look at Ephesians 4.24, it says, And put on the new self, which in the likeness of God has been created in righteousness and holiness of truth. Put on the new self, which in the likeness of God, and that's how we've been created as a new creature, and with, with respect to his workmanship, because we have been done that, that has been done through righteousness and, and a holiness of truth by his handiwork. Another thing to remember, that it is God who's at work here. We are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works. It's God who's at work. Remember a few weeks ago I had the privilege of speaking on, on Philippians 2.13. For it is God who's at work in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. In Philippians 2.13, it is who's at work within you. If the Holy Spirit is in us, and if the Bible tells us if it's not, we have no part of him. But if we are in him, the Holy Spirit is in us. And if we are, indeed, it's God working in us to bring these things about. We are his... And that kind of denotes that he's at work in us. That is our sanctification. Get down to it. It is our sanctification. In Romans 6.22 it says, And now, having been freed from sin and enslaved to God, you derive your benefit resulting in sanctification and the become eternal life. Having been sanctified, we have life in Him. It is Him working in us. And also, in 1 Corinthians 1.30, For by His doing you are in Christ Jesus, who became to us wisdom from God, and sanctification and redemption. So God's Holy Spirit is working to make us more like Him day by day. That's what he's doing. It is him at work in us, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. 
And we will know that he who has begun this work, by the way, will bring it to fruition. He who begun this good work in us will bring it fully to fruition. And in Philippians chapter 1, verse 6, Paul says, I'm confident of this very thing. That who began a good work with you and in you will perfect it until the day of Christ Jesus. He began this good work will bring it to fruition. So what's the purpose of his workmanship by creating a new creature for good works? Well, obviously the answer is there in itself. It is that we would do good works. Christ said in Matthew 5, as part of the Beatitudes, he says, let your light shine before men in such a way that they see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. Let your light shine before men in such a way that they see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. And so therefore the ultimate purpose by which we do good works, by which we are destined for good works, is that we would glorify our God in heaven through Jesus Christ. So therefore our works are intended and purposed to glorify him. In 1 Peter 2.12, he says, Keep your behavior excellent among the Gentiles, so that in the thing in which they slander you as evildoers, remember what he's saying here, so that in the thing in which they slander you as evildoers, they may become, because of your good deeds, as they observe them, glorify God in heaven. You know, that's, I, I was thinking about that last night as I was meditating on this verse of Scripture. And it brought to mind another verse of Scripture. And I'm going to ask you, just flip back over for a second to Isaiah chapter 5. Isaiah 5, verse 20. If you haven't marked this one in your Bible, you might want to. And the reason I say that is because I tried to remember this one, and I kept getting the address all, all fouled up. For instance, I kept thinking it was Isaiah 50, then I thought it was Isaiah 55. It's Isaiah 5, verse 20. And he says, Woe to those who call evil good and good evil, who substitute darkness for light and light for darkness, who substitute bitter for sweet and sweet for bitter. So that, he says, in the thing in which they slander you as evildoers, may they see your good works, and may they have justify what he's seen. Now, it, this, is, this is a world and a day we live in, and it's utterly unbelievable. When I think back in my young years, and the attitudes of society toward Christians, and when I see today what people do and say, I am utterly appalled because what we believe is essentially called by the way of the world evil. It's wrong. And what those who do, and I tell you, I guess the one ultimate example is homosexuality, where it's being declared as better than heterosexuality. I mean, that's what the world's really saying. And it's saying that the words of the scripture are wrong. And that the philosophy of man is right. That's what the world's saying. That's just one small example that we have in our life today. But we are to do good works. For what purpose? So that because of your good works, as they observe them, 
Glorify God on the day of visitation. And the day of visitation is what? That's when Christ shall come again. So there's a reason why we ought to do good works. Not only to glorify our Father in heaven, but to glorify him before this world. That in the day of visitation they might know that what they called evil was good. And what they call good is evil. That's, a, that's just something that, that's the world turned upside down. You've heard that expression? That's a perfect example of it. There in Isaiah 5, verse 20. Also, Paul wrote, he said, So that the man of God might be adequate, equipped for every good work. And that was in 2 Timothy 3.17. And there he's speaking about the purpose of Scripture. All Scripture is inspired by God and is profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be adequate or competent, equipped for every good work. So we have this, which we call the Bible which is intended to provide us and equip us and instruct us in the good works in which we should do that glorify our Father in heaven. And by the way, good works and good deeds are one and the same thing. It says in uh, Colossians chapter 1, verse 10, so that you walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, and this is what Paul was telling the church at Colossae, to please him in all respects, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. To Titus, he said this, in chapter 2, verse 14, that we ought to be zealous for good works. And he reiterates in verse 14, that we ought to learn to engage in good works. So Paul was saying to Titus, as he said to Timothy, that we, are, we have the word to equip us. In every sense of the word, the word is here to equip us. And that we are to engage in good works We are to be zealous for good works. We are to make a conscious effort to do those good deeds which glorify our Father in heaven. It's not something that we're doing to justify ourselves to God because nothing can happen in that respect. Now, I don't care how long or how hard we try. We cannot justify ourselves by good works. But rather the good works are to come as a result of the salvation that we have in him. It ought to be an example for the world to see. So therefore, those who have saving faith will manifest good works. It says in Matthew 7, verse 16, also in verse 20, you will know them by their fruit. That's the result of our good works. And he says later on, by their fruits you shall know them. That's how we ought to be known as Christians, by the fruit that we exemplify in Christ. And he says also in John fifteen eight, My Father is glorified by this, that you bear much fruit, and so prove to be my disciples. My Father is glorified by this, when you bear much fruit, and so prove to be my disciples. We come to the third point this morning. That he has a preordained plan for us, which God created beforehand, that we would walk in them. It is not coincidental that good fruits ought to come from our life. It's not an accident. It's not coincidental. It is something that God has planned for us from the very beginning. I want to ask you to turn back over to Romans for just a moment. 
Romans chapter 8. And we're going to look at, beginning at the most difficult verse we call in the, in the Bible. That is Romans 8.28. A very difficult verse for some people to understand. One that's been often misinterpreted, but one that is very applicable to us here, and especially the verses following. It says, in Romans, and I'm saying Romans 8.28, I'm Romans 8. 29 and 30, and I guess if I probably got my Bible to the right place, I would also be able to get you uh, the same thing. You know what? (laughs) I'm wrong in my my attitude here. I, I assume something. For God causes all things to work together for good. Are you familiar with that verse of Scripture? God causes all things to work together for good. To those who love God and who are called according to His purpose... And then he says, for those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to become conformed to the image of his Son, so that he would be the firstborn among many brethren. And then he goes on to say, and those whom he predestined, he also called. And those who he called, he also justified. And those who he justified, he also glorified. He predestined us to become conformed to the image of Jesus Christ, his Son. He predestined, he preordained that we would be that. That we, that Jesus would be the firstborn among many brethren. That's us, the brethren. But he foreordained from the very beginning that we would be created in good works, which God created beforehand, he says, that we would walk in them. Therefore, it's not, an, it's not incidental that we would exhibit good works or good deeds in our life. It is God's plan. In John chapter 15, 16, he says, You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you to go, that you would go forth and bear fruit and that your fruit would remain. I appointed you. I chose you. That's why God has selected. He chose us before the foundation of the world that we would be holy and blameless before him. He chose us that we would go forth and bear much fruit and therefore exemplify him in our lives and prove to the world that God is real. That's the preordained aspect of what God has done for us through Jesus Christ, his Son. You know, when you start talking about God's divine foreknowledge, it's, it's something, I think, utterly impossible for us to wrap our mental arms around. I don't think it's possible for any ordinary human being, redeemed especially, but especially it's it's impossible for someone who's not a spiritual person. We can't comprehend how God can look at history, and look at the future as history. And that's an amazing thing when we talk about God's divine foreknowledge. There's no surprise to him on how we will believe or what we do. But God has intended, since he has created us for good works, that we would walk in them, he's intended for us, and from the very beginning, to do certain things, and he's equipped us accordingly. He's equipped us accordingly. 
Look at 2 Corinthians 9.8 again. And God is able to make all grace abound to you, so that always having all sufficiency in everything, we may have an abundance for every good deed. That's 2 Corinthians 9.8. That we might have an abundance for every good deed. God intends for us to be fully equipped. That's why by the Holy Spirit, he gives to us spiritual gifts by which we might manifest these things for the glory of God, but that we might minister and build up one another in love. And so God intends from us from the very beginning to exhibit good fruit in our life so that we might prove to be his disciples and that our fruit might remain. And by our good deeds... He wills that we bear much fruit to him. As you look at Colossians 1.10 one more time, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. Luke 6.44 says this, For each tree is known by its own fruit. For men do not gather figs from thorns, nor do they pick grapes from a briar bush. Every good tree is known by its fruit. John 15.5 says, I'm the vine, and you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him bears much fruit, for apart from me you can do nothing. If we are abiding in him, if we're living and walking by the Spirit, in obedience to him, we're going to bear much fruit. And that is what God has intended from the very beginning for us. And therefore, apart from him we can do nothing. And that's what we need to abide in him. In John 15, verse 8, he says, My Father is glorified in this, that you bear much fruit, and so prove to be my disciples. In verse, 15, in verse 16 of John 15, he says, You did not choose me, but I chose you, so that, what, your fruit might remain. So God intends for us not only to do it, but that it will be eternal. And therefore... Those who do not believe will believe when they see the good work that we do for his glory. Lastly, an example is that fruit that comes by the power of the Holy Spirit, the fruit of the Spirit, in Galatians 5.22. And he says, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. That's what God exhibits in our life as we walk in obedience to him. There's another point I'd like to make here, and that is that Christians gathering together for worship and for fellowship are intended to stimulate love and good deeds. As it says in Hebrews chapter 10, verses 24 and 25, and let us consider how to stimulate one another to love and good deeds. For forsaking, not forsaking our own assembling together, as, of the, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. We are to gather together in worship and fellowship so that we might stimulate one another to love and good deeds. You know, that's the whole ultimate purpose of a small group. That is why we ought to be doing that. It's not only building up one another in love and encouraging one another in the scriptures, but it is to stimulate one another. And it's by our gathering together, by the will of God, that we're able to do that, to be stimulated, to, think, to do those things which bring glory to his name. I think one of the most um, 
satisfying times we had as a small group uh, on our Monday night meeting, which we call ourselves the Awana Connection, since we meet in conjunction with Awana on Monday night, is the three years we spent just distributing water bottles at the Johnsburg Memorial Day Parade. And we put a little sticker on the, over the water bottle that you know, talked about uh, the sacrifice of love. And that was an amazing, just a simple, straightforward witness. That was a good deed that we did because we felt lead, led to do it. And by doing it, I think we bore witness to Jesus Christ and his love for us. Now, that, was a not a, that wasn't an evangelistic outreach the way we wished it was. No one, to my knowledge, from ever came to this church as a consequence of that. But it was evident that it was being done by church. And we gave out that ice-cold water on those uh, very hot days back on Memorial Day of a few years ago. Not only then, but just for several years thereafter. And it was a witness for him. It was a good deed. And we did not do it for our sake, but we did it for his. And that's a great way for small groups to get together and to stimulate one another to love and good deeds. We ought to be doing that thing. We ought to be, as we see, and as a matter of fact, as you look at your, your study guide, they're the core values of the Alliance Bible Church of McHenry. And you'll notice at the very last one, about performing unconditional acts of love to our community. And that's why we talk about this being as part of the mission of what we try to do as small groups, the small group ministry. We ought to be stimulating one another to love and good deeds. I think there are four conclusions we can draw from this this morning. If we are producing good deeds, we are living, if we're not producing, let me put it this way, if we're not producing good deeds, we're living in disobedience to the very commandments of God. We're not walking by the Spirit. Because God's work is in us to will and to work for his, good, for his good pleasure and for his glory. Therefore, we ought to be in obedience by performing good deeds, not for the basis of salvation, but in gratitude for what he's done for us. We ought to be doing these things for him. Good deeds are an indication of that gratitude and for his marvelous grace. And that's the second thing. Out of gratitude, we should do this. Thirdly, good works bear witness that Christ is in us and that we are abiding and walking in him. If we are producing good works in our life, if we're bearing much fruit for him, it is evidence of Christ in us, the hope of glory. And lastly, good works are the testimony of our love of God and the Lord Jesus Christ. Because, but God, being rich in mercy, because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our transgressions, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. By grace you have been saved. He raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the ages to come, he might demonstrate, he might show the surpassing riches of his grace and kindness toward us who believe in the ages to come, that he might demonstrate that by his surpassing riches of his grace. You know, when you think of, and just let me give you an aside for just a moment. I thought as I was listening to that by the 
riches of his surpassing riches of his grace. The unsearchable riches, I think it says in the King James. What an incredible thing that really means. What are the riches of his grace? Paul prayed that prayer in verse 18 of the first chapter that the eyes of our heart might be enlightened so we know what we would know what is the hope of his calling and what are the riches of the glory of his grace and what is the surpassing greatness of his power toward us who believe. He asked and he talked about in verse 7 of chapter 1, In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished on us. Think about the riches when Paul, and Paul's the only one that talked about this in this way, but he talked about the riches of God's grace, the riches of his mercy. God's not a pauper. He never runs out of anything. God is the richest of the rich. There are no other comparisons to him. He alone is rich because he's the creator and he's merciful. And by the kind intention of his will, he wants that grace to be made known to us. And that's one thing that we ought to do to demonstrate the riches of God's grace We ought to be willing to do those good things, those good works, those good deeds that he calls us to do for the glory and honor of Christ. Because we know it's not by works that we are saved. It's by grace through faith. But that God intends, because we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand, he preordained, that we would walk in them. Let me say this last thing in closing. It's not that we should walk in them, or perhaps we would walk in them. It says that we would walk in them. It's God's will for you and I to do good works. It is God's will because he's created us that way. He's made us a new creature. And from the very beginning, he has ordained things for you and for I to do. How marvelous it is that I have the opportunity to stand here this morning, as inadequate as I am to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ. After 40 years in the business world, God in the richness of his grace and mercy allows me to stand and preach his gospel. And that's why I continually say, you hear me say it all the time, because I believe it with all my heart, God saved the best for last in my case. (laughs) What marvelous, marvelous, matchless grace. What great things he's done. Not me. Oh, my goodness. Not me. The least worthy of anyone who would stand and preach the gospel. And I mean that sincerely. But God being rich in mercy, because of his great love, and here's where you personalize the scripture, because of the great love with which he loved me, made me alive together with Christ. Even when I was dead in my transgressions, he raised me up with him, and he seated me with him in the heavenly places, so that in the ages to come, he might demonstrate the love, the surpassing riches of his grace to me in Christ Jesus. For I have been saved by grace through faith, and that not of myself, 
It is God's gift to me. Not as a result of works, so that I could ever boast. For I have been created. I am his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that I should walk in them. That's what it is to personalize it, to move from, as I told you a few months ago, to move from uh, FM for me. I understand this applies to me, to AM. It's all mine. It is all mine. And that's how I can say that. That's the great thing about memorizing Scripture. When you can begin to personalize it. When you can really begin to personalize it. And I challenge you to do that. That's part of the good works that you can exhibit that bring glory to the Father and glory to the Son. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for your marvelous grace and mercy toward us who believe. Thank you for the surpassing riches of your grace, which applies to us. Thank you, Father, that your workmanship is real and alive in us. You have made us a new creature in Christ Jesus so that we might perform good works that bring glory to him and glory to you. Father, thank you that from the very beginning of the world, this was your creation, the created purpose in us. You intended for us to do this for your, for your good pleasure. Father, we just thank you for that wonderful grace and love toward us. We pray that Christ might be glorified in the good works that we do, And that, Lord, you would stimulate us to do that accordingly. In Jesus' name we pray, and for his sake we ask these things. Amen.